Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen Shrunken Heads, one of the all-time great Stuff You Should Know episodes. It originally ran in June of 2011, and although it will teach you step-by-step how to shrink a human head, you should not try this at home. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And that makes this Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Indeed. Not the radio show, though. <laughs> no, no, no. This, uh, not yet. It probably will be eventually, this one. Yeah, I bet you they'll speed this one through, man. You know what's crazy is we could say right now, hello, WFMU listeners, so that when this is repurposed yeah. into our radio show on WFMU, it'll blow their minds. What you're speaking of is we're on WFMU in New York. If you live in the uh, New York, New Jersey area, 91.1, you can hear us Fridays from 7 to 8 p.m. now. That's not at all what I was speaking of. Or Hudson Valley at 90.1. You got you got the call signs all over the place, don't you? Two stations. You have them tattooed on your, your tricep. I might do that. Yeah. They're going to rush this one through. They're going to see... I'm not even going to say the topic even though people already know because they clicked on it. But they're going to see that and go, oof, we need to get this on the air. Yeah. Um, Chuck, remember we also did one on cannibalism before. Yeah, and this is, eh, related. Well, in the I, I relate the two in the introduction of this article on Trunken Heads, <laughs> yeah. right? So um, there's, you know, those two things really probably are equated with pre-civilized barbarism. Yeah. Savagery. Um, more than anything else, right? Agreed. And this is just as gruesome, we should point out. That's our little warning. Okay. Done. But um, with cannibalism, there's a lot of dispute over exactly how and when it was practiced. Like, we do know there is evidence that people have eaten other people in the past. Mm-hmm. But there, we're starting to think that it was never in any kind of ritual form. Yeah. Where basically it was like, we're enduring some horrible climate change and famine, and so... We're going to figure out how to justify this through, like, warring with neighbors and then feeding ourselves with their dead bodies. Yeah, for nutrition. But the jury's still out as to whether or not cannibalism was ever practiced in any real, you know, mass form by any culture. Right. But that's not the case with head shrinking. Head shrinking is this weird little um, cultural trait, I guess, that um, is specific to one culture, as far as we know. And we know that culture because we could go down to Ecuador right now and meet some of them. Yeah. The Shuar culture. Yeah, I got a few tribes that did it, but they're they're the main daddies. So a few, what you're talking about is there's evidence that other tribes did practice it in pre- or para-Columbian contact. Yeah. The, and that evidence is like there's it's shown in tapestries sure. um, or that tribe's art or something. There's only one tribe that's documented as having done it, and that's the Shuar. And only one that, you know, did it really, really well. Yeah, they're pretty good at it. And, and if, you, if, you're going, go ahead. if you're going to look up Shuar and you run across Javaro Shuar, it's the same people as Shuar members of the Javaro language group. Yeah, and that's a, apparently that's a uh, kind of a slam that it, the word Juara, it's like a corruption of that. What, Shuar? Those people, yeah. It was, uh, I think it meant like uncivilized or something in like a different a, language. Like and, Eskimo. Yeah, maybe so. Blubber eaters, remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Nazis may have done it too. May have named the Shuar? No, may have shrunken heads. 
Oh, really? Yeah, they found some at uh, Buckenwald and even presented that at the Nuremberg trials as like, hey, look what these guys did. Yeah, they did all sorts of messed up stuff. There's a bar of soap in Canada that's supposedly made from um, the fat of concentration camp victims. I should say it's alleged, though. They never pinpointed and said the shrunken head came from Jews from Buckenwald, but it's, you know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's very few incredibly strange, exotic things that a culture has done that we can say, yes, definitively, these people did do this. Right. There's no, it hasn't been blown up by Hollywood or anything like that. This is legitimate. And shrunken heads are are that kind of thing. And the the reason why the Shuar were able to shrink heads and get really good at it over the years was because even after contact with Europeans, like the Spanish coming Mm -hmm. into South America... Um, the Shuar were one of the very few groups that managed to repel any kind of Spanish colonialism. Yeah. Like, they lived under Spanish rule for, I think, like 30 or 33 years, and then frankly said, we're tired of being taxed for right. our gold, mm-hmm. so we're just going to kill a lot of you. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah, there was a revolt, right? Yeah, they killed like 25,000 people, and then uh, Spain, was it just Spain, mm-hmm. I guess, said... Uh, you're just going to get out of here. You yeah, guys, you guys are good. <laughs> exactly, and that's really saying something, considering the amount of gold ore that the Shuar's like land sat on. Right. Yeah, and you know that Spaniards love their gold. So, so the Spaniards were like, okay, we know you're in there, and we're going to leave you alone. Right. You go do whatever you want to do. And the Shuar just continued to practice um, head hunting and head shrinking. Head hunting practiced all over the world, right? Yeah. Head shrinking. Shuar only, as far I'd as like documentation to hear the, goes. The meetings with the Spaniards, they probably at first were like, no, no. And then they were like, it's not that much gold. Right, exactly. It's really, I mean. We can get gold elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll, ha- we'll hold the Incas hostage. I'm reading 1491 again right now. Really? It's a great book. I was hoping to read that before you read it again. Sorry. I never picked it up, though. <laughs> That's the first step. I even went and bought a book light special for this book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. One of those little clip-on deals? Yeah. Very nice. Works like champ. <laughs> so, Chuck, why would anybody shrink a head? I mean, obviously, they're just big, dumb savages who like to shrink heads, right? I mean, there, can't, be, there can't possibly be any <laughs> uh, explanation behind this. Not true, Josh, because as you point out, because you wrote this awesome <laughs> article. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you know the answer, but that's just our shtick. I was acting. <laughs> uh, they are firmly rooted in... Um, and, and magic and spiritualism and war. And from an early age, little boys are taught like retribution, violent retribution mm-hmm. is a really good thing and it's a part of our culture. Yeah. And if uh, you don't carry out violent retribution properly, your dead uncle or your dead grandfather or whatever, your dead ancestor is going to come back and bring, you know, horrible pestilence and famine on you. Yeah. You're, you're in trouble. So they do do it for a reason. They do it to, uh, I guess ward off those spirits, right? Or to or to finalize the whole thing. Yeah, well, so it, it's part of this larger process, is part of this bigger belief, which is if you die, if we're related and you die sure. of some unseen like disease, mm-hmm. right? Let's say you die of cancer. Okay. It's not cancer. It's somebody else in another household, another Shuar household, right. bewitched you and using magic killed you remotely. Yes. So... 
since there's no priestly class among Shuar culture, like any anybody can consult with the spirits under the right circumstances, the right circumstances yeah. being you take hallucinogenic <laughs> drugs. Yeah, I would um, take a hallucinogenic drug, probably Natema, right? Yeah, it's uh, from a jungle vine, evidently. Yes, a jungle vine that gets you lit. Yeah, and I just this I want to point out, I love that from a jungle vine, like hallucinogenic mushrooms, it's like. You name it, some human has found a way to get every bit out of every single thing on the earth if it can mess you up. Don't forget toads. Toads, yeah, licking toads. Yeah. We, we don't recommend that, though, by the way. No. Although I was listening to an old, old, old episode, and you talked about your hallucinogenic toad collection in college. That really? You just like to collect toads. <laughs> it, it was funny. I don't remember that. So um, I, I suspect that you died because you were bewitched, and now I've taken the Tema, and I'm on a vision quest, and I'm consulting with your spirit, maybe some other spirits, to find out who killed you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come down and be like, oh, it was George down the river. Right. So now I have a blood vendetta. Against George. Jorge. Jorge, thank okay, you. sure. And um, I'm going to assemble other households in the area into a confederation to go take your head, George. To make it right. Jorge. Yeah, because if I don't, then you, my dead relative, are, are going to haunt me. Yeah. Uh, and bad things are going to happen. And plus, it's just a matter of, like, that's what our culture calls for. Yeah, so, and you said they'll even tell the other tribes sometimes, like, we're coming for you. Yeah, they'll they'll alert the other householder plans because this isn't like a quick thing. It's very well planned. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of people involved, and it's very violent and bloody when it finally does happen. But yeah, they'll say we're coming after you. You're in big big trouble, and the 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 there may be retribution, but more likely than not, it's going to be like, well, you probably shouldn't have killed his uncle. Oh, really? Because yeah. that was going to be my question. Isn't this just an endless loop? Of head shrinking and cut or cutting then shrinking. Well, it is like it's supported by death, mm-hmm. but it's generally nonviolent death that they associate with magic or bewitchment, which really re- requires this specific type of retribution. Uh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So revenge will take place. Uh, I, I see you also pointed out that maybe the whole household is slaughtered. Maybe they'll take the women as wives. Yeah. And we're not really sure. Like uh, they used to take the wives. Uh, further back, is that the deal? Well, that some old account said that these guys are polygamous, which they are. Right. Shuar are polygamous. Um, so w- if they do carry out one of these raids, they're going to take the women as their wives. But then a more recent one from, I think, the 70s or 80s or something later in the 20th century mm-hmm. said, no, they kill everybody they find in this household. They just don't take little kids' heads, but they'll kill little kids. Yeah, but they don't take the head. I yeah. like that even they had a, uh, a line they would draw. Not much shrinking to be done. They like to sh- really shrink oh, things. Oh, you know? I wonder if that has something to do with it. But a little... Uh, never mind, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so, Chuck, there's um, a specific way that, that all this is going to go down, right? Very specific. Like the Shewar don't live near one another. They live over a pretty substantial area of the Amazon basin. Yeah, there's no high-rise full of uh, Shewar. <laughs> right. So... Um, it, it will take days to get to this place. And when they finally get there, they basically alert their target that they're here by, if they have guns, they'll shoot into the air, they'll shoot at the house or whatever. Right. But basically, they're like, come on out, punk. We're looking for Jorge. Yeah, because he killed my uncle. I imagine, too, I'm making this up, but it seems like if they sent out Jorge, they might just be like, okay, we'll just take Jorge. Um, That could be the case. Or do they just exact revenge over the whole family no matter what? 
I, I, it, you know, I would imagine that that probably depends on the person. Okay. On the amount of rage and right. <laughs> and uh, mourning and grieving, right. you know, and drugs that they're taking. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, there. So e- even if they do have guns, you use a spear. If you're going to take someone's head mm-hmm. to shrink it and turn it into, we haven't even said yet, um, what's called a tansa. Yeah. Or sansa. Yeah. Right. T s a n t s a. Yes. Um, you kill them with the spear by driving the spear through their neck. That'll do it. Their throat. That's mm-hmm. that. And then you start this process of shrinking their head by cutting their head off. And you even do that in a specific way, too. That's right. Um, you cut Chuck into a V, right? You do. Uh, between the clavicles, above the clavicles, in a V shape, mm-hmm. between uh, resulting in a, the point of the V, I guess, between the nipples. Yeah, so there's like a pointed flap hanging down from the neck. Just yeah, a pointed flap. Sort of like a skin, skin ascot. <laughs> right. We should probably say that this is where it starts to get tra- graphic <laughs> in this uh, podcast because we're going to describe. You will know how yeah. to shrink a head after we're done. We're always like 20 seconds late with this. <laughs> also, if you shrink a head because of this, we no longer consider you a member of the Stuff You Should Know Nation. You've gone off the deep end. You're yes. a murderer and you should be punished severely for your crime. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Is that a good disclaimer? Yeah. I hope we didn't have to say that, but there may be one sicko out there. You never know. So, uh, like you said, you cut it in the V-shape, and then you set a hairband, potentially, or a vine, yeah. like a scrunchie? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because they, they often the men often wear their hair long, uh-huh. and they'll have it back in a ponytail. And once you have stabbed somebody, cut their head off in this methodical way, yeah. you need to get out of there, because there may be reinforcements coming. So you loop it through the, th- the throat, and then out the mouth, tie it off, and you've got a little pocketbook. Yep, and you uh, tie it around your waist or throw it over your shoulder, <laughs> yeah. and you get the heck out of there. Exactly. Because, you know, the, this is um, the, you're, you will be killed if you're found, right? Yeah, I would imagine. They don't like it when you kill neighbors or whatever. Sure. But um, also, you need to get out of there because you, you've just probably discarded your weapons. Once you use um, a weapon to kill somebody in this ritual manner, mm-hmm. it's spoiled. Like everything from this first, from the beginning stages of this raid all the way to the end of it, the stuff that you're using is spoiled and has to just be left behind. So you're probably running to get out of there and you're, yeah. you're weaponless. And now. I would agree with the, that tactic anyway. I mean, lightens the load. Well, no. And like we say later, there's like a clay pot and other things you use. Like that is spoiled. You know, oh, because it has a head on it. Yeah, it's just dirty. Like, get it out of there. It's got blood on it. You don't want to cook in it. No, we're we're getting to that now. So, um, wow, this is a really methodical one, isn't it? Like step by step, as is shrinking heads. And you know what's funny is, as I was reading this the whole time, I was like, yeah, that's how I'd shrink a head. <laughs> like it all makes total perfect sense. And they've been doing it for centuries, if not millennia. Yeah. So they really do have it down step by step. They do. Now, obviously, it's easier for us to see it as step by step as outsiders. Sure. There's tons of significance with every single step and, you know, a lot of symbology. But for the most part, it is a very methodical way of, you know, taking and shrinking ahead that the Shuar practice. That's right. So we left off with getting the heck out of Dodge. And that is when the process begins. Because like you said, they live far apart from each other. So they can't just wait till they get back. It might be three days later, and you're going to have a rotten head. So they started immediately with an elder tribesman who's probably not doing the fighting, but he he heads up the process. What's what, what are they called? Uh, he is called the Kuraka. 
That's, and they, they started the on the way home. Word for him. Well, he's probably the one who he's the head of the household, uh-huh. or he's like the, um, the in this confederation of households that was assembled. He's probably like the most respected or war worn warrior. He shrunk a head or two, in other words. Yeah, he knows what he's doing, and he's probably the one who took the Natema and had the vision quest right. and got the answer. But basically, he is the party planner for this whole thing. Right. And he's the one imbued with the most um, spiritual significance throughout, so he's the one who's going to shrink the head. But he doesn't—he he didn't necessarily go on this raid, uh-huh. and if he didn't, then he met this um, raiding party at a, a pre-designated camp, one of many along the way back home from the place where they just kill the people right home so he says jorge's the man go get him i'll meet you at checkpoint a exactly camp uh fun and now they're meeting there okay so that's where we are it is very methodical uh and it's important you said to to be attentive to these steps because if you do it wrong it doesn't count right well it it, yeah you're not you're part of this is paying homage to your dead ancestor or or appeasing your dead ancestor mm-hmm. and if you if you don't do it right then your dead ancestor's not appeasing you're in trouble right yeah it it doesn't count and part of that is um like if the uh Siraka, the Karaka, right um when he starts this process he'll say there's like incantations right and it's not just him it's like everybody in the raiding party is very much paying attention to this and being a part of it mm-hmm. so he'll be like i'm you know Pulling the the throat from the neck, and the other people say he's pulling the throat from the neck, and it goes down <laughs> like that pretty much every step of the way. There's nothing funny about that. It's the way he said it, I think. Yeah. Uh, we, we also need to point out that the warrior guys also have to do certain things like um, not eat certain foods, abstain from sex, mm-hmm. um, don't they don't hunt alone, and this is this is during the whole like year long process. Uh, no, this is during the shri- the Just, head shrinking process. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, because the spirit is held at bay. Yeah, and you said it. I mean, this is a year-long process. Um, it doesn't take a year to shrink a head. Right. But a head holds this magical significance for a year, and there's certain prescribed celebrations that have to take place to fulfill this obligation to the dead ancestor. It's a big deal. It is. Yeah. Yeah, you don't just shrink heads willy-nilly. Right. At least I don't. And, um, Chuck, I don't know if we should say here or not, but the head has three significances, right? Yeah. First, it, it's physical proof to the dead ancestor that you're carrying out this revenge on his or her behalf. Yeah, so a trophy in a way, but not like Europeans thought of it. Right. Um, secondly, it has a spiritual significance where you are, it is the vessel in which the spirit of the person who's been killed whose head it was, Mm -hmm. is trapped. Yeah. So you're commanding that person now. Right. And then um, thirdly, it it increases the social status of the of the warrior who who's wearing it. Because you wear that thing for like a year around your neck. Exactly.
So let's tell them how it's done. What's step one? Uh, well, first, if you want to shrink a head, Josh, you have to skin a head. Yes. Because you can't shrink a skull. Everyone knows that. Uh, so you need to get the... Basically, what you want to do is create a Halloween mask where there once was a full head. Right. So you uh, cut some flaps that, that uh, around the base of the skull that... And I guess sort of like when you're taking chicken skin off, you can... Or if you're like... Uh, Spicing chicken under the skin sometimes. <laughs> you'll cut a, a, a sliver and then you'll stick your fingers in there. Right. So you're you're loosening little by little the skin from the skull, cutting the tendons and cutting everything, the muscles that hold it all together. Right, but you want to cut close to the skull because one of the aims of this is to keep the facial characteristics of yeah. the person so that he would be recognizable to his family. Except smaller. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're working all that through. You're separating it from the skull. Uh, you remove the eyes. You discard the eyes. You discard the cartilage. You discard the skull with the brain inside of it. Yeah. Evidently. Yeah. And uh, what else do you do? You cut away the cartilage that holds the nose and the ears intact. Yeah. So, so like you said, just like a mask, it's just what you have is the scalp and the face and the neck, all that skin still connected, mm -hmm. and the hair. Right. And, and the holes where the eyes were and the nose flap and the mouth and all that stuff is there. It's just there's no bone or connective tissue. Yeah. Or there is connective tissue and fat still. There's just no bone any longer. So this is the most gruesome mask that you could ever envision in your because life. Because it's real. I wonder if any of them ever put it on. I don't like, know. Hey, look at me. Like, yeah. I'm it, Jorge. It'd have to be uh, Caraca with a small head and a victim right. with a really big head. But, yeah, <laughs> right. maybe so. Although, the, no, this is so specific. There's no way. Because that would mean that the revenge will come up on your head. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's that's the skinning. So now we get to the shrinking. Yes. Now you have uh, a, that rubbery mask. Mm -hmm. It's made out of real skin because it's a real person. Yes. Um, and you you have to boil it down mm -hmm. first. It's that you you mentioned a clay pot. They make a ceramic pot mm -hmm. that is just big enough to hold a head. And they make it just for that person's head. Yeah. Because it's never been used before and it will never be used again. They'll break it and leave it in the river. Yeah. Can They're we usually, call it a head at this point? It doesn't uh, seem right. It's a skin bag. Yeah. <laughs> the face bag. Head skin. The skull bag. <laughs> Good okay. Lord. This is going off the rails. <laughs> so um, the, the, the Caraco dips it three times into this heated water that's heated over a campfire. Uh-huh. And this is like one of those situations where he says, like, I'm dipping the head, and then the the, the warriors will be like, he's dipping the head. Right. You know? And then uh, I, I think on the third time, he leaves it in there for um, 30 minutes. No more than 30 minutes. I've seen several sources cite this, but no more than 30 minutes because after that, the hair starts to come out. Yeah. But the, 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 the skin bag, uh -huh. skull bag, um, basically simmers at a, like a light boil for 30 minutes. Yeah. And remember, vinegar, not olive oil. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because the olive oil floats at the top. Yeah. And imagine there was trial and error in this too, because mm. they probably boiled it too long. The hair came out and they're like, no, we like it with the hair. Yeah. So let's, let's work on this. Yes. So they they, uh, they figured out, all right, 30 minutes, you can't really go beyond that or else you lose a lot of hair. Right. So then after that, you take it out, and this thing's already shrunk by about a quarter now, mm -hmm. or a third. Third. Um, and you leave it to dry. You dangle it from like a spear and just le let it dry for a while. <laughs> Break the pot. Yep. So you, you see your pot spoiled. Yeah. And then you, you once this is dried, now you're entering the real curing process. 
Yeah. The head is already noticeably smaller, unsettlingly smaller, <laughs> but it's going to get a lot smaller, like you said, the size of a fist, uh-huh. through this dry heat curing process. Yeah, and like I said, this all makes total sense. This is how I would have done it had I been Ashura. So uh, you, uh, we should probably also say that um, when it was boiled, pigs were likely inserted to keep the mouth closed. Right. Right? And those pigs may be left in, or they may be removed, but either way, the mouth is going to be sewn shut after it's dried mm-hmm. to to begin this dry curing process. Yeah. In between the boiling and, and the dry curing, they're going to start to sew the orifices shut, right? Yeah, because uh, what you want to end up with is something that you can turn upside down like a sack and put hot rocks, um, then hot pebbles, mm-hmm. and then eventually hot sand in there in a step-by-step process. Right. To dry it from the inside out, and they roll it around in there because you don't want it to sit there. You don't and want just, it to like burn through a cheek. Yeah, it would burn through a cheek exactly. So they move it around, they work it around, it dries little by little until you get to the sand, and at that point, it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They use a blade to press against the lips mm-hmm, to dry out. Like a out. heated machete, and like then sears the lips. They use hot rocks in the outside to press it against and rub it against, like an iron, like you're ironing a, uh, a an Oxford. Right, because you're as it's shrinking, if you don't shrink it evenly, the face is going to get distorted. I mean, think about this. Like, you're shrinking it down almost like to, you know, like the point of um, linear perspective, uh-huh. the, that vanishing point. Yeah. Right? So imagine that's in the center of this head. Mm-hmm. You're, sh- you're trying to shrink it all down evenly to that point, right? Um, and that's got to be incredibly difficult because you're doing it with hot rocks and hot pebbles and hot <laughs> sand and you boiled the skin you know i mean like so to to bring it down you have to um smooth it out once in a while by basically using a hot flat rock as an iron a clothes iron to yeah. smooth out the wrinkles let me ask you how you get it down so small <laughs> Remember that in Beetlejuice? Yep, from Beetlejuice. <laughs> hey, there goes Elvis. Yeah, there was um <laughs> I, I you just reminded me of that like the intro of this had like five different variations of that scene, description of that scene. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't make it work. And then I finally realized, oh, this is a lot more serious than... The Beetlejuice joke isn't working. Yeah, the Beetlejuice uh, reference isn't isn't allowed in this one. I think it's allowed in the podcast, though. Sure, yeah, the podcast is totally different. That was because that was a great part. That's how he switches numbers with the tribesmen. Yeah. He's in the waiting room. He has like nine million something. Yeah. And then he goes, hey, there goes Elvis, and he switches number four. Yeah. Good stuff. Do you know the numbers, huh? Well, I mean, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. It's a great movie. I've seen it a bunch. Oh, and um, so that guy didn't look anything like a shoe-ar, and I think he used like some sort of magical dust to shrink Beetlejuice. Yeah, it was so not So Tim Burton was totally off. But um, <laughs> the I think another uh, appearance of shoe-ar in the movies is um, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. With the um, gold skull in the beginning, remember yeah. the guys who all have the uh, bows and arrows. Uh-huh. From what I've seen of what Shuar look like, those are those were very closely modeled after Shuar tribes people. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Okay, so Chuck, where we last left off, poor Jorge's head. Um, he had hot rocks and hot pebbles and hot sand being rolled around in mm-hmm. him. His eyes had been sewn shut. His mouth had been sewn shut. His The flap had been sewn shut. So it was just a pouch. The ears, too, I guess. Somebody pressed a hot machete to his lips, uh-huh. probably the uh, Caraca. Yep. Um, and, and no, I didn't see anything about the ears being sewn shut. But hmm. I, I, surely they have to be. But I didn't see it anywhere in any of this in the, the sources. I think that's implicit. 
But um, so now you have this thing. It's getting more and more shrunk, and um, it's probably about as shrunk as it's going to get from the hot pebbles or whatever. So you hang it over a fire. Yeah, that's the final drying stage, right? Yep. And then you take some uh, campfire charcoal ash, uh-huh. rub it on the skin, which gives it that distinctive, like, darkened look, that and the fact that it's been shrunk down by dry heat. And um, you have yourself a Sansa. A and that takes a few days, right, the final fire drying process? Yeah. Okay. All right, done. That's it. And um, we should also note that the hair doesn't shrink at all. So uh, if you, you you might not think about it when you're looking at it, but any shrunken hen you've ever seen is a tiny head with very long hair. Yeah. The guy didn't necessarily have long hair. Um, his head just shrunk a lot. He might have had a flat top. To about the size of a man's fist, about a quarter of the size of a uh, regular human head. Yeah. It's gruesome, but, I mean, as is our way with don't judge other cultures... Who am I as Chuck in Atlanta to judge these people in South America has been doing this for millennia? It's kind of neat. Yes. Is that wrong to say? No. Okay. It is. It's interesting. It is. And we're um, our interest in this is probably more refined and less like, oh, than like <laughs> our fellow Americans from like 50 or 100 years ago. Yeah, sure. You know? Right. You know, this was filmed. One guy actually filmed the rituals. Yes, that's why I'm saying it's documented. Yeah, 1961 is the only time anyone has ever put a camera on this. Yes, and uh, and they're pretty sure that was it. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It looks like it. Oh, you saw it? Mm-hmm. Is it on the YouTube? Uh-huh. No way. Yeah. Edmund uh, Belowski? Yes. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to go look that up like right now. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't remember the guy's name. I wasn't like, oh, yes, of course, Edmund. But, I mean, he's the only one who had sure. that had on there. So, yeah. Wasn't Tim Burton. No, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so, all right, where are we here? Uh, it's sewn shut. You, you've got the beginnings of your vengeance, but this is the beginning of the long, year-long process of, mm-hmm. of fulfilling this. Yeah. So basically, you walk into town, your town, your household, uh-huh. holding this sh- new Santa you just made along the way, right? Aloft with like the Rocky theme going off in your head, right? Sure. Because you are. As bad as they come. That's right. You've just taken a, a, a head of some um, somebody who killed your relative, uh-huh. and you shrunk it, and now you're going to wear that around your neck for the next year, and it's time to party. Yes. That is the first thing that happens is a big, what you call, in quotes, a ceremonial dance at which there is an orgy of wild drinking. Yeah. This guy did a, a brief ethnography of the Shuar in 1921 for the National Geographic Society. Uh-huh. And that's how he described this first um, this first party. And he thought, why paraphrase it? Let's just throw quotes around it because it, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. I mean, that guy saw it, you know. And they drink chicha, which is uh, manioc beer. Mm-hmm. And chicha is a, uh, or manioc is a shrub. So they make this chicha out of I think manioc's a, a root. I saw it was a shrub. I saw a root. <laughs> Maybe it's the root of that shrub. So manioc, right? Uh-huh. They drink this stuff all the time as oh, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. So the average adult male um, drinks three to four gallons, 11 to 15 liters of manioc beer every day, just as a normal matter of course. Yeah. So that's everyday drinking. Imagine how much they drink at a wild orgy of drinking, like an actual celebration. I imagine kegs of chicha are uh, abundant. Right, and they go for days. The celebration goes for days. And basically the war, the war, the raid party um, have whatever stances they've made. 
and are showing it off and using them to recreate like what happened. Right, and, right. Um, that's, I'd like to try that, the chicha. Okay. Like we get beer from like, you know, this is my beer from Wyoming. I don't know if we have any Ecuadorian listeners. And we appreciate that beer, but I want to try chicha. I want to see what that's all about. All I right. bet it's pretty gross. If we have any Ecuadorian listeners, mm-hmm. we'd love to have some. I, I don't think it's like bottled commercially. Well, I but mean, just send it to us in a a bucket. <laughs> a bucket. That's how people <laughs> used to get beer up until like the forties, I think. In a bucket? Yeah, you go down to the brewery with like a bucket, and they'd fill it up. God, those were the days. <laughs> but you'd spill so much, I imagine. Yeah, I think you'd drink it down a little first before you hit the road. <laughs> right. That's what <laughs> on I the do. way home. Yeah. you get home and be like, "Man, my bucket's empty. I need to go back." <laughs> I spilled it along the way into my mouth. All right, so. More parties. How many parties in total? Three? Feasts and parties? Yeah, there's three. Um, there's the first one, which is the Numpenk. Then there is the um, Napin and Amianu. And Amianu is the last one. It occurs about a year after this raid. Right. And Amianu means fulfillment, as far as I understand. And at the end of this, they're like, eh, we don't need this anymore. Seriously. And it ends up in a gift shop in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Or, like, they, they, they're they known to, like, give it to their kids as toys. Right. It loses all significance whatsoever. Like, overnight, like, after Amianu, yeah. it goes from this prized, um, spiritual, social, um, cultural, significant item. Right? To nothing. Nothing. So, the, the, um, Shuar, were known to be fairly f- surprisingly friendly people if they thought you were on the up and up. Yeah, if they if you had something to trade and you were there to trade with them, uh, they would say, yeah, sure. As long as they thought it was fair. Remember, they revolted in 1599 against Spanish colonial rule they because were, they yeah, thought sure. they were being unfairly taxed. And I bet they probably were. Sure. Um, so if they think you're on the up and up and you're cool and you're not doing them any harm or whatever, uh, then you can trade with them. And that happened big time. Yes. And Europeans said, what you got there, buddy? Uh, whoa, this is a Santa. It's a um, shrunken head of uh, somebody who insulted my, um, or who killed my uncle. And, and they my say, kid's <laughs> playing with it now. And then they say, well, I got a boomstick that you might be interested in. Exactly. And that began the trade of shrunken heads between the West and the Shuar. And it started out just like that, a gun for a shrunken head, one that, for one. That seems fair. Yeah. I'm surprised that uh, the Europeans didn't try to take advantage of that and be like, oh, this boomstick is pretty pricey. I might, I need like five of those heads. Or maybe they didn't want to push their I, luck. Yeah, I wouldn't push my <laughs> luck with the shoe yeah. are. One for one sounds like a good straight you, up deal. You give them their gun and you call them sir the whole time. Well, and since they did give them guns, that led to a downward spiral uh, like usually when you introduce guns into a culture, of war. It, well, the, remember, they don't use guns to kill. They use the spear. What do they use they for, to hunt? Just to shoot and be like, check me out. I'm going to scare the tar out of you by shooting at your house, but I'm shoot really going to cut your head off with a spear. <laughs> well, what really started the war was, uh, I think, the Europeans uh, came there to do this trading, and then that, of course, brought disease that the, they weren't used to seeing. And so that disease killed people, and the, they thought, of course, because they were Shuar, they didn't know it was disease. They thought it was magic, so they started taking drugs and saying, hey, it was Jorge. Right. 
more disease equals more death equals more retribution. That is huge. That is a huge and very overlooked aspect of how European encroachment into Shuar culture uh, increased the um, the war among the Shuar. Um, and the other way it did was just simple supply and demand. The Europeans wanted more heads than the Shuar had, right. so the Shuar were like, well, "Okay, well let's we'll just go, you know, start warring more frequently." Before it was a very infrequent thing, and then um, by I think the turn of the 20th century, yeah, that war was like a monthly endeavor, which had never been seen before among Shuar. Yeah, you said between 1889 and 1911, one uh, area. Decline in population by fifty percent because of this war. Just because of war, yeah. Not even disease, just war. That's a lot of dead people. It's a lot of shrunken heads. Yeah. And it's because the West demanded it. They wanted this. And yeah. They were willing to exactly. trade for it. They were very much in demand because uh, they saw them as obviously very exotic uh, collectibles. And um, but they did have a. If I, I like this, they had a. Uh, the Shua had a a backup plan in case. You are able to go and kill uh, the person who inflicted pain upon your family, but I couldn't get your head. They'll allow you to get the head of a sloth mm-hmm. instead, but I imagine that's sort of shameful. Like, the guy with the sloth around his neck might be like, well, it's not Jorge. He's, he's a little self-conscious. Yeah, I would, I would the, be. At the party? Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> like, he's partying, but he's like, ugh. Yeah. Jorge. He's off to the side, like, drinking the punch. Now, what if they, do you know if they don't? even get retribution they don't what if they get defeated i I didn't run across anything like that i I think that it was obviously a a possibility because they they you know you're staging a raid these people know you're coming and they're not they're not they're not sending out jorge you know on their own right um they're gonna fight you probably um so yeah i i don't know i i think you just failed and you're dead right so you probably don't care that much (laughs) About what happened to your uncle, because right. you're sitting next to him right now, and <laughs> you're getting an earful from him. So uh, uh, the sloth heads are significant because they have a feeling that that might be some of the early um, forgeries, which became commonplace. I think like about 80% of the ones that they have today are likely forgeries. Yeah, but but they were authentic because the Shuar made them. Yeah, they were something. They, they were Shuar Tansas. They just weren't human, right? Right, right. So um, that started, that was quickly, they quickly ran out of the sloth ones, mm-hmm. and then they were they were counterfeited by people who weren't Shuar. So you would have monkey heads, yeah. ones made out of goat or horse skin, um, human heads that were stolen and shrunken by amateurs, um, from, you know, bodies from the morgues in Ecuador. Yeah. Who had nothing to do with the Shuar and the Shuar had never had anything to do with these shrunken heads. And there's a lot of ways that you can tell an authentic Shuar Sansa, Tansa. I'm going to say it both ways. Okay. The whole time. Um, and, uh, the, one of them is, um, the lips are usually sewn shut and they were knotted in a certain way and the strings were left to dangle. That's called the Shua knot. That's a dead giveaway. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, uh, I ran across this one source. It was basically like, here are 10 identifying characteristics of uh-huh. a, of a Sansa. Number one, head shrunk. <laughs> right. Well, there's one, um, th- there were a couple of specimens of entirely shrunken bodies, but the people didn't go. There's one guy who's like a, uh, an Ecuadorian general or something, uh, or military officer. Um, the person who shrunk his whole body didn't go to the trouble of removing all of the bones from the hand or feet. Uh, so he's just a little body with like big hands and feet. 
That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool, <laughs> uh, but not authentic. Yeah, uh, and and I just cooked up an idea though. If I was went to get Jorge, but I could not get Jorge's head, mm-hmm. and I was shamed into getting a monkey instead, I would just tell people that that was Jorge and that he sort of looked like a monkey. Yeah, I wonder if that would work. I don't know. No, if you're a big fat lying shoe, are you? It would work. Okay, you know. Yeah. So Chuck, we um, you you mentioned that like eighty percent or something of uh, all sances are considered counterfeit. I'm, yeah. I was probably I would think it's even higher than that. Yeah. Like big museums, big time museums, were collecting these or received them through donations of like right. famous adventurers or collectors, widows, um, which is a moral issue. It is these days. It yeah. didn't used to be. It was just like, oh, cool, shrunken head. Right. Or, oh, cool, mummy. Right, right. But now there is this question of repatriation. Mm-hmm. Like, remember in the totem pole episode, we talked about George H.W. Bush yes. signing the Grave Repatriation Act for uh-huh. Native Americans? So this is a this is a big issue, and it has been one since like the 80s or 90s, I would say. Um, and now, all of a sudden, all these museums who were used to making gobs of cash off of displaying... Presenting, yeah. Shrunken heads are like, oh, we're we're kind of on morally gray ground here. Yeah. Which is really like we're on immoral ground. So what do we do with this? Well, some people are returning them. Some museums have returned them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I guess, solves that problem. Other ones, I guess, I mean, they're testing them now a lot. In fact, this week, they got the first DNA, successful DNA test from a shrunken head. Oh, yeah. Uh, Who did it turn out to be? Agatha Christie. <laughs> Agatha Christie. Uh, it was uh, published in this week's issue of, or maybe it's monthly or quarterly, Archaeological and Anthropological Sciences. Mm-hmm. And it was on display. The head was on display at a museum in Tel Aviv. And uh, a senior lecturer at a veterinary school, which I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. tested this thing and authenticated it as real human skin. And uh, probably in died in South America probably of Afro-Ecuadorian descent. Wow. So we knew it was real anyway, but with DNA now, it's like, all right, it's 100%. Yes. And now we can tell. Well, and now you can test, though, at least these museums can to see if they're forgeries. And if they're forgeries, I guess there's no harm in keeping them. No. On display. They're probably not going to draw the visitors in like a real Sansa would. Right. But um, the the Smithsonian's... um, Oh, which one was it? The National Museum of the American Indian? Yes. Led the way in repatriating Sansa's to the Shuar in uh, 1999, I think. And then other museums are thinking of doing it, thinking very publicly and very hard about it. Like the Pitt (laughs) Rivers Museum in England has a pretty substantial collection. There was a lot of, like, basically grave robbing and looting of cultures in the 19th and and 20th centuries that were funded by museums that now have these collections that everybody was cool with that all of a sudden the public's not so cool with. So maybe we should give that stuff back because these are human remains. And Sansa's in particular are called um, quasi-objects because they're 
because of the transformation they go through, they're not just human remains. They're also cultural artifacts. Right. But at the end of the day, they're human remains, and really they should probably go back to what's now the Shuar Federation, which was established in the 1950s. Right. And supposedly since then there hasn't been a Santa, but that that film from 1961 kind of undermines that idea, doesn't it? Yeah, and didn't you point out, too, that um, the... uh during the boom in in the trade of the shrunken heads that uh people would rob ecuadorian morgues right of their heads yeah. to to make these yeah so that's certainly hinky yep to say the least yeah so i guess the moral of this entire episode is if you have a shrunken head you should probably give it back. That's right. And didn't the Christians stop all this? Aren't they to blame or to be credited with? Yeah. <laughs> the Christian missionaries are the ones who kind of brought the Shuar more into Ecuadorian society and um, got their their culture into this Shuar Federation. And they stopped warring yeah. with, within themselves, too. Yes. But there are still rumors. And we'll end it on this one. As recently as 1996. So, like, everybody's like, if you're a Shuar, supposedly you don't shrink heads anymore, right. but you know exactly how to do it. Well, now and I do, too. under the right circumstances, you would do it. Right. But everything's just been so cool for so long, you don't have to do it. But, supposedly, in the uh, 1996 uh, Senapa War, I believe is what it was, between Peru and Ecuador, Ecuadorian soldiers who were Shuar. Modern soldiers. Yes. So there was a rumor that they were making Sansa out of the heads of <laughs> uh, Peruvian soldiers that they killed during this war. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they followed the whole uh, process, the year-long deal with the celebrations, or if it was more modernized, like, oh, I'm just going to do this for the old old school guys. I, I don't know. Keep the uh, the culture alive. Well, the, the idea that it happened during the Seneca War has been largely poo-pooed, uh-huh. but I don't know. Yeah. If they did, I don't know how they did it, but I'll bet that all of the other people in their platoon were really scared of them. <laughs> yeah, probably so. So that's it for head shrinking, literally. There's yeah. nothing more to say about it. <laughs> no, I can't think of anything. No? I even looked. If you want to see a bunch of pictures of shrunken heads and stuff like that, you can uh, look up my article on uh, HowStuffWorks.com by typing in shrunken heads. In the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. That's how I found it. And that brings up not listener mail as I understand it, right? No, Josh. You know what it's time for? Say it. That's right, Josh. This is the point uh, that we do every few months where we uh, thank fans for sending uh, tokens of their appreciation in. And uh, many of them are trying to get a small plug of their own, which we don't mind doing, as long as it's on the up and up. Yeah. And so here we go. We'll just tag team this. Listen up for your name, and if we forgot you, please remind us, and you will be on the next edition. Uh, Susanna from Archie Comics knows that I was an Archie comic fan from the show, and that you made fun of me for that. And so she sent us a load of stuff, Archie boxer shorts and Comics and I didn't get pencils and pens. I showed it to you and you didn't want it. <laughs> uh, Chuck, you also got both of the gift cards from George from Guitar Center in Austin, Texas. George, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. But I knew that Chuck would put it to a lot better use than I would, so he got that one. You could have got like a, I don't know, like a Guitar Center T-shirt. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, George. I used them both already. Uh, Vanessa, you sent us germ-inspired plushies. 
there are these little zippered pouches that look like germs. Yeah, two of my nieces are crazy oh, about really? those. Yeah, I should uh, I should donate those to a small child. Uh, GermUSA.com is where you can find those. And she donates 20% of sales to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So that yes. is very much worthy. And if you are re-gifting them to really kind of complete the uh, the whole thing, cough into it first and then zip it up real quick and then <laughs> give it to the, the little plush germs. To That's good kids. luck in the show of uh, sure culture, I think. Sure. Uh, Liz at littlebitsweets.com sent us some more chocolates, which, thank you, Liz, but she owed it to us after the Molecular Gastronomy Podcast. It was in return, remember? Yeah. Are we one up on her now or is she even? We're even now. Okay. Yeah. But we got a good deal going with her, so let's just keep this up. Okay. So thanks, Liz. Littlebitsweets.com. That is L-I-D-D-A-B-I-T sweets.com. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. That's true, Chuck. I mean, we're not just plugging it. I mean, just every time we get a package from her, I just am delighted. Yes. And fatter. Uh, Farmer Al sent us Unicorn Tears from unicorntears.org. And uh, my unicorn tears were tears of joy. Apparently, there are different kinds of unicorn tears. Oh, really? Yes, mine were tears of joy. Mine were I death like them. tears. Uh, Jody sent us some geocoins from her geocaching experience. That was very nice. Oh, yeah, that's right. No plug there, just a, a kind deed. Uh, Matt Lively sent us a sketchbook, Grandma's Big Breakfast, and 99 other drawings. Is that the one with the um, everybody made a little squiggle and he draw from it? I believe so. Okay, and thanks, it Matt. Cool. It was very neat. Uh, we got something from uh, Jenna Dalmas, and Jenna was on the co-ed trip to Guatemala with Jerry. Is it Gina? It is Jenna. Okay. It is spelled Gina, and... Uh, Jerry uh, told me how to pronounce it, and she sent us CDs. She's a musician, and uh, she sent us some CDs and T-shirts, and you can support her at uh, JennaDalmas.com, but that is G-I-N-A-D-A-L-M-A-S.com. Mm-hmm. And I haven't listened to the CD yet because I just got it, but uh, I'm going to check it out. It looks like some sort of a alt-country type of thing, Yes, which I dig. So do you remember um, those competing gross stories, the paramedic and the ER nurse who yeah. are, uh, I think, married? Uh-huh. Um, and we d- we judged which story was grosser. Fish in the butt. Yes, or intestines. Yeah. We pushed back in and we voted intestines. Well, Matt and Anna, uh, whose stories those were, sent us thank you beers. So thank you for the <laughs> beers. Uh, Johnny Spanish. I doubt if that's his real name. He sent. Uh, he does Discover Spanish. Uh, there's a podcast actually called Discover Spanish, and it teaches you Spanish. Yeah. And he sent us a CD set from uh, Language Treks, and um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I've long wanted to learn Spanish, and I didn't want to throw down for uh, what's, what's, Rosetta Stone. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try. It. Why was it pricey? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna got it now for free from uh, Johnny Spanish. Yes. Who's going to teach you to say stuff that you're not supposed to be saying? <laughs> Probably so. Uh, Carrie and Ryan uh, sent us a lovely photo of woods on fire. Uh, she teaches backcountry landscape photography at a community college in DuPont, Washington. And you can go check out her stuff at photosbycarrie.com. Photosbycarrie.com. All one word. Josh, we got some beef jerky. I know. This was awesome it was so good i almost finished it all on the way home and it was a slab yeah it was a a slab it was like my bucket of beer but it was beef jerky (laughs) it was bud's beef jerky from northern california and mike uh geotis or geotis sent us that and did he send us anything else i don't i don't i think it was Was just just a beef jerky yeah i mean that's plenty yeah but for some reason i thought there was beer that went with it or maybe just and mike if you want to keep that coming If you can stagger them so I get a new one every day, that would help me a lot. Uh, What's next? 
Uh, let's see. Allison and Fraser from Victoria, British Columbia sent us uh, the SYSK Army t-shirt. This was a, a um, an entrant into our contest that we had some time back. Which, by the way, I think we should have another t-shirt contest. What do you think? I, I was thinking that just the other day, actually. All right. And there's um, didn't win, but is awesome. And we've got our versions of it. We can wear them around now. Yeah, they're Canadian. They yes. might have won, but they were not allowed because uh, of of silly rules. Yes, they couldn't they couldn't even enter. Yeah. But they're in the image gallery. And they made the, the shirt anyway and sent it to us. Yes, so, so that thank you very much there. you guys. And uh, finally, I want to give a personal thanks to Dr. Gabriel Bird, dentist of Norman, Oklahoma, because as you know, Josh, I am potentially looking at braces and jaw surgery for my messed up bite that is weakening my teeth. You're like uh, Lisa Simpson projected like <laughs> 10 years out. Awful, man. Yeah. So awful. And I posted on Facebook one day about people that had experience with this, and uh, Doc Bird uh, said, hey, dude, I'm a dentist in Oklahoma. Call me. So I did. And we spent like an hour on the phone, and he gave me all sorts of like awesome tips and advice on what to look for in my appointment. And uh, we're Facebook buddies now. And nice. uh, it was yeah, very, he helped you out, huh? Yeah, very kind of him. So uh, if you're in the Norman, Oklahoma area... I highly recommend Dr. Gabriel Bird, and he's quite a dreamboat. <laughs> and then finally, we have about 10 more shout-outs. Um, we've got Ajuma and other stories from Tyler Davis. He sent us his self-published book, which is pretty awesome. We've got a nice origami crane from Jordan Hatswell in South Australia. Uh, we got a letter from Courtney B., who is an archaeologist in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Thank you. We got a very nice letter from Sam W. And Sam, tell your dad thank you for introducing you to the podcast from us. Please. Uh, we got a Valentine from Vlada. I don't know if we ever thanked Vlada for that one. I found it in some postcards. Okay. We got a postcard from Grenada from Emily. A postcard from Hell Cayman Islands from Famous Tracy, who we know very well. Oh, yeah. Postcard from Gisborne, New Zealand from Susan P. Postcard of Benjamin Smythe on the UC Berkeley campus. Cool. Have you heard of this guy? No. He's just holding a sign that says, you're perfect. He's a nice, positive dude. But he's wrong, but that's nice. Okay. Uh, and that, that came from Magnolia. Thanks, Magnolia. Got a postcard from Michelle W. in Leiden, Holland. And then a postcard of a Garot execution in the Philippines at the turn of the century from Cecile, who's a doctor in Manila. That's neato. It's like a guy wearing a bag over his head, and there's like a machine that looks kind of like a, um, a press, but it's vertical. No, it's horizontal rather yeah. than vertical. And he's being executed. Some guys are standing around, but the executed is just sitting there holding his hat. Like, well, I'm just going to hang on to my hat while they kill me. Did you? Do you still have that? Yeah. I don't think I saw that. I want to see that. Yeah, it's pretty serious. But thank you, everybody, for all that stuff. And thank you to everybody who has ever sent anything that we forgot. If we did, it was a total oversight. It has nothing to do with how we feel about what you sent us. Send us an email and say, jerks, I sent you this. How could you not thank me? I love you anyway. Signed, you. Okay? Agreed. You can send that email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 